Hello, and welcome back to Resurrections, an Adam Warlock podcast. I'm Al Sedano. And I'm John Wilson. Yes, John is back again. Ta-da! And this time we are going to be talking about Warlock number two. It's almost like it's the second time I've been here, because it's the second issue, but it's the third time I've been here. It's weird. 70s publishing patterns are weird. Because when you have all those tryout books, and of course DC was doing this before that, you know, back in the 60s, they they would have the several tryout issues before they got their actual series. Yeah. But with with DC, you rarely had to know what was going on when you picked up an issue. Well, true. That was back in the early Silver Age, so it was all one and done. So it didn't matter how many issues were before, you knew everything you needed to know from the issue. But yeah, the second issue here, we're, we're the power of Warlock. We have... um Lots of good developments here. We have some interesting... Actually, I said lots of good developments. When you think about it, there's not a whole lot that actually happens in this issue. No, there's really just one basic thing that happens, and that's it. Not much yeah. stuff happens. I mean, a lot of stuff happens in the issue. There's a lot of issue, and there's good stuff. But yeah. um, I'm actually not going to have a whole lot to say about the second half of the book, because... Yeah. Yeah, because of what we're going to find out when you do your synopsis here in a minute. Exactly, and we're going to get to that right now, and then John and I will be back to talk about what we read. Synopsis, synopsis, synopsis. Warlock number two, Countdown for Counter-Earth. This issue came out with a cover date of October 1972, and according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, went on sale on July 25th, 1972, with a cover price of 20 cents. The plot and editing is credited to Roy Thomas. The script, Mike Friedrich. Layouts, John Musima. Finished art, Tom Sutton. And cover art and spiritual advisor, Gil Kane. As seen at the end of last issue, Adam is in the Man-Beast underground lair and being held by two of the evil new men. Facing him is the Man-Beast himself, who has completely removed his disguise of the Prophet. He's offering Adam the chance to rule the world alongside him. Adam refuses, for he only wants to destroy the Man-Beast. This angers the Man-Beast, and his number two, Cobra, encourages Adam's destruction. But the Man-Beast feels that Adam would be a powerful ally. Adam frees himself from his new man captors, and after taking out a few of them, leaps at the Man-Beast. However, a ball and chain wrap around his neck, stopping his attack. This weapon is wielded by the new man, Monk, as in Monkey, who is able to pull Adam away from the Man-Beast, but is quickly defeated as Adam's gem devolves Monk back into the gibbon he originally was. Surprisingly, the Man-Beast calls for peace and orders his remaining new men to not attack. Cobra notices that using the gem has weakened Adam and urges the Man-Beast to destroy him, but is slapped down for his trouble. Adam agrees to listen to what the Man-Beast has to say, the Man-Beast then takes Adam and flies up into the sky to talk. On the way up, he thinks on his plan to lure Adam into violating his own principles, and this apparently will neutralize the power of the gem. High above the city, the Man-Beast claims ownership over the Earth, and again asks Adam to join him. Adam quickly refuses, giving no allegiance except to the High Evolutionary. Between the two of them, they recap the events of Marvel Premiere 1, with the flashback ending with Adam meeting his four com- young companions, Jason Gray, David Carter, Ellie, and Eddie Roberts, whom Adam felt would be important in his struggle. The Man-Beast then attempts to hypnotize Adam, but fails. Before Adam can counterattack, 
the Mambi shows Adam that below, his four friends, and the quote-unquote prophet's sister, Estrella, are being chased by a mob, upset by Adam's battle with Hawk and Pinjun from last issue. Estrella leads the four down a blind alley, and then disappears. The kids attempt to fight back, but are outnumbered and deny knowing Adam to the mob. Instead of helping, Adam's upset by this betrayal, feeling that, If this be the end of trust, then I will trust no more. The first thing he does is blast the man-beast with a shot from his gem, which completely destroys him. Adam then allows himself to fall lower in the sky, to a high-rise office building, and completely demolishes it. The police arrive and fire on him, but Adam uses his gem to melt the bullets before they can reach him. The military is called in, and Air Force fighter jets arrive and fire on Adam, with no more effect than the police had. Adam destroys one of the planes, and sees that the pilot has it safely ejected. He makes a decision, and using the power of his gem, changes the parachute into air, and watches the man plummet to his death. The captions read, Adam Warlock has never killed, but when he does, there's no crossing back. If one life may be taken, so can others, and others, and others. We then see Adam taking this destructive streak on a global scale, taking out the White House, the Kremlin, and the Chinese capital. The military tracks Adam to an area outside of Denver, and launches a nuclear missile at him. But he emerges from the mushroom cloud, even more angry. They've hurled their mightiest power, and failed. Governments are leaderless, cities are destroyed. The world's on its knees, and soon, we'll begin the bowing. He ends up back in L.A., and finds his four former companions, still alive. They try and talk him out of continuing on this path, which pisses Adam off, as it is their betrayal that set him off in the first place. They try to explain that they are sorry, but they were scared. He wants to kill them, but remembers how he has seen good in their souls. They may be weak, but not evil. As he comes to this revelation, their four forms start to blend and merge, changing into the man-beast. Adam believes now that what he has experienced was just a hypnotic trick by the man-beast and attacks. They fight, and the man-beast realizes he is being de-evolved back into a wolf. He realizes he must make a last-minute play to survive. And if that works or not, we don't know. But from what Adam can see, the man-beast fades to nothingness. Adam then heads back to rejoin his four friends. And we're back! It's almost like we never left. I know. And just in case there's anything you need to clarify, we're going to take care of that right now. What did you think about this cover? I like the cover. For one thing, I like the red background. Going with the whole... I mean, I don't think... Obviously, this wasn't their plan, but in my head, I'm thinking uh, Green Lantern right now. Red, Rage, kind of fits with this issue. Yeah, and that, that's kind of a, a cultural color association before it was ever a Green Lantern thing. But True. I don't know. I, I find all the all the warm colors to be a bit overpowering with the the red background and the red or. Well, he's basically all one color except for his yellow bits, Adam Warlock. But this cover is really, really heavily inked. And it's it's kind of off-putting, and, and Adam Warlock to me looks like a bad action figure mold. <laughs> You're right. He does look like an action figure. I can almost see just a like like a He-Man type figure. Right. He even has that same type of outfit actually they had, more or less, without it being furry. 
I don't know. Now that they were going for it's not my favorite. I'm glad you like it though, because it's it's not not for me. Yeah, no, I just found it. I I don't know. I just found it kind of powerful. You know, he's really. You can tell from this, he's pissed off, and for you know the second or fourth issue, for it to look like the hero is turning. The world was evil. The world rose up against me, and so the world died. He's really channeling his inner high evolutionary here, isn't he? Yes. Yes, it's almost like the high, what the high evolutionary said last issue is coming true already. Mm-hmm. He wants to destroy. But, yeah, I mean, he looks pissed. The man beast is standing behind him looking really happy. And it looks like there's a whole lot of dead people around him. Lots of death and destruction. Oh, yeah. So, getting into the actual issue, well, first of all, this is the, we're actually getting to the uh, creative changes. Because Roy Thomas is still plotting it and editing it, but he's not scripting it. Oh, Mike Friedrich has stepped in. Yeah, he um, he kind of pinch hits for Roy Thomas. I, I still think of this as Roy Thomas's story and Roy Thomas's concept, but Mike Friedrich does step in quite a bit. Oh yeah, well at least at least here, he's definitely still in charge of the story. Like I said, he's the plotter and he's the editor. So as far as I'm concerned, it is Roy Thomas's story, but he's not doing the actual words at least. And uh, Gil Kane looks like he's completely off the art. Yeah, it says he's listed as spiritual advisor. John Buscema's laying it out. Tom Sutton's finishing it. John Buscema's really, really busy back in the 70s. Because for the last few issues, every time we've talked about the other books that Adam used to be in, it's all John Buscema art. I like John Buscema. You know, usually I will find some pretty sharp differences between him and his son's, excuse me, between his and his son's styles. But there's actually a lot of similarity in this issue. That's right, because Sal Buscema is his brother, I believe, right? Oh, is it, I said son. Yeah, it's not son. It's brother or cousin or something. Wait, how many of them are there? Aren't there, like, three of them? All in all are John and Sal. Oh, okay. And I think you're right. I think they did talk about Sal Buscema coming on as John's kid's brother. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure Sal was, like, a brother or cousin, but I thought there was another Buscema. There could be. I could be wrong. Oh, well, until they come on here, I'm not worried. Confirmed, yes, younger brother of comics artist John Buscema, and he was born in 1936. He's a lot older than I thought he was. That means he was in his 50s when he was drawing that spectacular Spider-Man stuff that I grew up with. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I mean, actually, no, I'm thinking about now, I know there's a Stephanie Buscema who is related to them, who works for Marvel now. Oh, then I don't know her. But I don't know in what capacity she works. I think she's more an editorial. And I, but I thought there was another one besides her. Oh, well. Well, if you look up Stephanie Buscema on um, Wikipedia, it redirects to John Buscema's uh, article. All right. So it's probably just the three of them then. His granddaughter, Stephanie Buscema, is a freelance illustrator and cartoonist who started out inking for her grandfather. Oh. Well, that's definitely somebody. I had heard about John Buscema getting his family to ink his stuff for him. Never heard of that one. But actually, I've heard a bit about about artists back then doing that. Just not specifically John Buscema, but not surprised. So she started out inking his, her grandfather's stuff and then went on to be an, uh, her own illustrator and cartoonist in her own right. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's definitely someone to work with. <laughs> if you're going to want to be an illustrator for comics, John Buscema back then is definitely somebody to you know, have helping you. And if you go to stephaniebuscema.com, you'll see her work. I'll check it out later. Yeah, the only person I can think of back then who would be as, you know, her family was, would be as good as help, you know, helping getting somebody to practice will be um, John Romita. Yeah. Which obviously worked out well for his son. So yeah, okay. the style is very different in this issue, but um, 
Well, actually, I say it's very, I don't know. I think the tone is still there. The tone has not shifted much. Yeah. It's different style, but again, also going back in that time, a lot of times the styles still weren't all that different. I mean, everyone had their own style, but it's not like we're talking about the difference between Jim Lee and Joe Maguera, where, you know, Jim Lee's trying for this, like, realistic thing where you see all, all the lines in the suit and the buckles, and Joe Mad was doing a very much, like, an anime manga-type look. Yeah. You know, it's not, like, that difference in style. You do get a lot more of shady eyes, blank white eyes, Adam Warlock in this issue, though. He, uh... He rarely has a humanized face that Gil Kane would give him. I wonder if that's more of his maybe battle look or angry look. Well, he's going to say he, he doesn't have very much occasion to look human in the story that we have this issue. Yeah, he's not a happy guy this issue. Yeah. As I was reading it, getting into this first scene, um, we talked about at the end of issue one how having, having seen the prophet, he was going off to see the man-beast. Yes. And um, how that was kind of a parallel between John the Baptist and the temptation of Christ. And if we take that parallel to this opening scene, man, the man beast really needs to work on his temptation skills because subtle he is not. Oh, God, no. Not at all. But yeah, on this first page, I like Adam's comparison of the uh, my eyes see not the humble gut robes of my guide who called himself the prophet but the gaudy royal cloth of one who would subjugate the second earth. And first of all, I'm thinking is, really? You looked in the mirror? <laughs> you ain't exactly in humble robes yourself. But he doesn't have a big old cape with, uh, with uh, whatever that is swooping up behind his head. Extra starch. It's a, it's, a, it's a Nightwing thing. Yeah, that looks like the Nightwing thing that he had in his first costume, you're right. Wouldn't that interfere with your peripheral vision? I just, I'm just saying. I would always think so, but so would a mask a lot of times. I mean, wasn't that the whole issue with Arrow, like that whole first and second season? Oh, yeah. I've only seen the first half of the first season, so I'm bad. I'm a bad nerd. Oh, okay. Well, that's that's the reason why he doesn't wear a mask, because that's why he does the eye makeup. I mean, that doesn't... As far as I know, I'm not spoiling anything for you. Yeah. I mean, that's why he's wearing eye makeup. But the hood would get in the way of his peripheral vision. Well, yeah, that... But, yeah. I'm not explaining that, just why he's wearing makeup. But yeah, so yeah, Man Beast has his offer. I like he's just join me. Just, you know, we're all holding captive, so why not? Join me or die. But he's not doing anything to sweeten the deal, and that's Yeah. That's the that's the problem with this I don't say it's a problem with the scene. It's a problem. It, it, it interferes with the uh, allegory is he's not doing anything to make this something that Adam Warlock would want to do. Um he's just attacking him and saying you can either change your course and change your philosophy and alter every your entire mission in life or you can die. Yeah. But that actually fits with whatever what happens later on in the issue with the man beast and warlock because that seems to be the tact he goes for. He doesn't go for the subtle, nice, I'm your buddy, I can do this and this for you. He kind of goes for the real hard hurt. You know, the, the not subtle, uh, vicious uh, way of uh, trying to seduce him, so to speak, or corrupt him. And then at one point, I love the names of these new men because they're oh. so <laughs> not clever. <laughs> like Monk, um, Monk M O N C K, and of course he's called Monk because he's a monkey. Except that he's not a monkey because whenever 
um, Adam Warlock de-evolves him, he turns into a gibbon, and a gibbon is not a monkey, a gibbon is an ape. Yeah. I was going to say, for a lot of people, monkey's a monkey. Yeah, but... You'd think he would know himself. Yeah, right? No given pride. Maybe we call him an ape-named ape, do-do-do-do. But yeah, there's no monkey pride, no given pride here. We could have called him, um, Gib, Gibson. Oh, Gibson um, Lots of different ideas there, but no. And then we get, uh, I think the colorist got confused between the de-evolved monk and the man-beast, because in the bottom left panel of that page, we have a close-up on the man-beast's face, but it's all gray and pink like the given on the previous panel. Now, think this is the first time since the Kirby version, really, where man-beast is really looking again like man-bat. Yeah, he really is looking like a bat there. I think the gray really helps to do that. Yeah. Because you're right, if it, and also because the nose looks very upturned, even though it is supposed to be forward, it looks more upturned than it does before. It's conceivable that there could be a snout there, and we're just you know getting a weird perspective shot. Yeah. But at the in, at, in either case, it's just kind of weird looking. Yeah, it would have been better though if he was his regular brownish color instead of gray. But I think this is where I'm getting this is where I mixed it up from the other episode where I said he was using the gem to de-evolve them. So it looks, it looks like this is where he's actually doing it on camera. Yes, this is the first time I've seen this on camera. It says this is the third time the jewel has flared. I didn't know we were keeping count. I do. I would if I had to think back at times they've called attention to the jewel flaring up. I would probably say this was the third, but I couldn't necessarily place where the other two were. I know there was one last issue. Yeah. And but, if we're going by what they say here, that it looks like it's the gem doing it, then we can assume when he de-evolved Rodan in Marvel Premier 2 into a rat, maybe that would have been the first? And that could have been the first one, yeah. Because so far they haven't shown any way that he's been able to de-evolve them besides this. Because this is only the second new man we've seen him de-evolve. My next thought is on the, the page six, where we do finally start getting more into a good parallel when they, cause the man beast finally is like, okay, you know what? All of you who are attacking Adam Warlock exactly like I told you to, I've changed my mind, so now you're being bad. Stop it. Right. You're ruining my game with the rules which I made up just now. And he knocks Serpentor aside, or whatever that guy's name is. Is Serpentor a He-Man character? G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe. So he knocks Serpentor aside. Um, whom we're going to be seeing a lot more of next episode. I had not expected that to happen, but yeah. yeah. The idea is now the Man-Beast is going to take Adam Warlock out and try to persuade him, try to convince him of why he should join the Man-Beast. And Adam Warlock's like, okay, if you're not going to be beating me up, then fine, I'll, I'll listen to your words. Yeah, I'm not going to, I'll let you talk first before I, you know, kill you. Which is a little bit strange because, I mean, his entire mission on this planet is to destroy this man-beast. So why would he even give him a chance to talk? When he's free, right there on that fourth panel, whenever he's about yeah. to say, to the surface and beyond, Adam Warlock could right then use his soul gem to, to de-evolve man-beast and, and take care of the whole situation. Well, now, I'm not really sure of his uh, reason because I don't really give Adam thought bubbles here. It's more man-beast. But I can wonder maybe... Going for tactical reason, uh, in the last pay- panel, the page before, uh, what's his name, Serpentor, what's his name, uh, he tells Man-Beast, the jewel weakens him, kill him while you can. So he might not be able to do that to the Man-Beast right now, the jewel, de-evolve him. So with all the guys around him, maybe it's 
Well, he wants me to leave with him. If I attack him now, don't know if I can de-evolve him before all of his guys kick the crap out of me. Oh, okay. So, so maybe I'll give him alone. a little yeah. monologue a bit, and then that way I get my strength back, and I can take care of him well away from any reinforcements. And as we see, that's kind of what he does, although not really. Yeah. Now, one thing I found interesting is now we definitely have a specific location given, not just general California. They're in L.A. Mm-hmm. But I like how they put it. This is the city. Los Angeles, Cal. Not C.A., not California. Cal. C-A-L. That's is that what people call it who live there? I don't know. I have a cousin who lives there, but I never heard him talk, you know, say that. I've heard of SoCal. I've heard it referred to as Cali. Yeah. But generally when you, you're writing stuff like this, it's usually, you know, either the full name or the a proper abbreviation. Right. I just, that was just some weird thing that just kind of, like, stood out at me. That's cool. Like, what's with the Cal? Not Cal-L. No. C- Don't get not, confused. Yeah, no, C-A-L, not K-A-L. So now um, the Man Beast does take Adam Warlock up to, I guess they're just standing on a cloud the whole time. They're playing Care Bears. Yeah. Now we do have, let's see, we do, we get a bit of a recap of everything that's happened so far from the perspectives of the Man Beast and Adam Warlock, mostly from Adam Warlock. So that catches us up in 1970s comic style. If you haven't been following along, here's another recap for you. Yeah, and we actually get a specific amount of time given for how long it took the High Revolutionary to create Counter-Earth. It was seven score hours. Yes, and a score, I looked up, a score is 20. So that means 140 hours, or just four hours short of six full days, which means pretty much as long as when the Man Beast, I mean, the High Revolutionary was passed out in that first um, Marvel Premier 1, as long as it passed out for more than four hours... He was resting on the seventh day. That's funny. Granted, it looked a lot quicker when they did it originally. Yeah, but... Yeah, but... We, they it was his, the, the entirety of history sped up. It's kind of like whenever the Star Trek people are standing in front of the Guardian of Forever, watching the entirety of human history go by. If it was literally going by at the kind of speed that it takes for you to make this you know, scene work, there's no way on Earth that you could ever jump in with any sort of precision. Yeah, it has to be going a lot slower. Yeah. So that makes sense. I mean, it's comics, you know, sometimes more time, you know, that's nice about between the panels. You know, you can have, say, it was more time between them than you realized. Now, it does play with the text a bit because Christ had three specific temptations. He was um, tempted, he, he had fasted for 40 days, so he was tempted to feed his own hunger using his power to create bread. Uh, he was told to throw off a cliff, throw himself off a cliff and let the angels catch him. I'm not really sure what the point of that would have been, but uh, to do that. Or to bow down and worship Satan in exchange for a crown and a kingdom and everything else that he's supposedly trying to achieve. All we get from this list from Man Beast is the last part, that he worship or join or bow down to the Man Beast in exchange for co-ruler status. Yes. Which the man beast apparently is already claiming he has. Right. Because he says, this is my dominion, yet I may give it to whom I choose. Although, really? Because I think all he's doing so far is hiding in sewers. I've heard it both ways. 
No, 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 because he hasn't. He has. In, he has been down here influencing this earth for the entire course of its history. So even though he may be physically located in the sewers, I could buy that he does have sway over the planet. Yeah, and or at least he feels like it's not just arrogance. He feels like he has dominion over it because he's the reason why you know most of what their history is happened. The dawn of an age. The founding of a family. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. We've got to take that chance. Conditions are right tonight. Let's go. They're penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up. Too heavy. Can't move. Too heavy. We're all alive. I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore. Look what's happening to you. You're... Change. Oh, Reed, not you too. What happened to me? To all of us? I can fly. We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four. For soon, the mole man will have the entire world in his power. I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth. And now, mankind shall feel that might. The Fantastic Four. Little do they dream they're the palms in the hands. The Human Torch will be the Puppet Master's next victim. You athletes can't change the way I can. That means I'm the most powerful person on Earth. I've been expecting you, for I am the thinker. I vow never to return, my lord, until the Fantastic Four is more and the planet Earth is no more. You're in the presence of the awesome Ralatots, King of Kings, Master of Men, and Lord of the Seven Sons. Fool, you're just a muscular freak, blind or hulk. Stop! You must not end on the castle of Diablo. My journey has ended. I think shall sustain to the living drain of all elemental life. So speak the lashes. Flame on! It's clobbering time! The Fantastic Four from the very beginning witness the origins of a legend. The Fantasticast. ffcast.libsyn.com And he tries to get Adam Warlock to gaze into his eyes. But Adam Warlock feels like it's a hypnotic glare, so he looks away... Except that I think this is the point where the story branches off into no longer real events. But not oh. knowing that yet. Yeah. And also not exactly uh, based on the Bible part, Bible story, because I don't remember Jesus doing this. Well, actually, we do have sort of a blending of two scenes, because now we jump to the other end of his ministry with a Garden of Gethsemane sort of moment. Whenever the people are out looking for Jesus and out trying to capture Jesus, his disciples were asked, to, you know, where Jesus was, and they all denied knowing him. Yeah, that's true. In fact, because Peter, they say Peter denies him specifically three times. Right. And we do get three denials here. From the various, from Jason, from David, and from... Eddie. Eddie and Ellie, yeah. Yeah, because Eddie answers for Ellie, so I'm kind of one. Because that's only one person answering. The Man Beast sister does show up at the beginning of that scene, but she disappears. Her name is Estrella. We have a, a name for her now. And Estrella means little star. Oh, that explains a little like the little star beauty mark she has under her eye. Yeah. Because if that's the prophet's sister and the prophet was Man Beast, right. probably not the most trustworthy of people. 
But instead, Adam Warlock's reaction is rage because oh, he's yeah. he's done. I guess he feels like he's done so much for them already, but they deny knowing him. And yet, instead of raging against the people, he turns his rage against the man beast and vanquishes the man beast. Oh yeah, man beast gets just smacked away. If only it were that easy. And I like that. Even though he's still mad at humanity now and all pissed off and ragey, he still is going with his original plan, which is, I'm still going to kill the Mambies first. <laughs> now I can do the next thing I want to do. So now he goes down to the city and becomes like a rage weapon tearing down a building. He basically he yeah. basically live bombs into the, the side of a building here and yeah. wrecks it down to its foundation. And it's yeah, it's like a whole bomb hit it. And also, on the next page, when we see the effects of devastation in the building, we also get the reveal of the fate of two more Marvel Universe characters on Counter-Earth. Yeah, Peter Parker's dad. Yeah. Tony Stark, uh, the heart of Tony Stark beats unscathed, so I guess he never was captured by whoever at this time was the one who captured him. Right. And Peter Parker died of radioactive overexposure, so I'm guessing the spider just poisoned him. Which is actually what would happen. Yeah. When did and whenever you were reading this through, because this was new for you at one point, at what point did you start to realize that this was not really happening? Um, I think in about let's see, where is that one? Okay, okay so we're on the page where he uh, destroyed everything. I think page twelve, where, where we find out about Reed Richard, Tony Stark, and Peter Parker. Page fourteen, when he's attacked by the Jets. And he destroys them, and the one pilot ejects, and he like watches him for a minute, and then just chooses to melt the parachute and let the guy die. Okay. The moment they did that, I didn't realize how far back the illusion was going to go. I but thought you started thinking something was up. Yeah, but I thought at that point maybe this was where the break was. You know, I thought in reality like they were going to go back to what reality was, and he was going to save the pilot. I think. Turns out, obviously, was the next perfect. page. Whenever he was looking out of the earth, and we kind of pull back and see the entire globe coming under his thrall, and he kills the president. Somehow, we're on this page. I was like, okay, this this is this isn't real. This something's up here. I don't know what's going on, but it's not actually real. Yeah. Now, I just want to say real quick, going back a page, then the one where he lets the pilot die, where I thought it was fake. Mm-hmm. That last panel, and this won't make sense to anybody who hasn't read past what we're doing right now, but. He looks like the Magus there. At least I think so. Yeah. That's a very Magus-y look. Now, obviously it makes sense anyway, but... Well, they have I'm the same face. Yeah, but I'm just wondering if maybe that's the part where Starlin kind of got the idea from. It's possible. Because I can see that. And now, I do want to, I want to give credit to the writer and artist because this, for a while, this sequence feels very real. Yes. And the trick that it's what's really happening does work for quite a while. I mean, you really I, there's no reason not to think that he didn't get angry about the denials and go down there and destroy a building in his anger. That all seems like it could totally happen. Yeah. It's when they start ramping it up that it's it's okay, you're going a little bit farther than we are expected to believe here. Yeah, once they make the whole big deal, at least like I said for me, once they made the whole big deal about him killing. Mhm. And now, oh, well, I killed one, you know, if one life may be taken so can others, and others, and others. 
And I was like, okay, now we're actually going past what actually happened. Because it's supposed to be nighttime anyway. It looked like an office-type building. I'm going to assume we don't see bodies in the wreckage. So I'm, I was kind of assuming that no one was in there. So he hadn't killed anybody yet. And I don't have much left for the rest of the issue. Not really. I mean, he pretty much trashes the Earth. He gets nuked, and that don't stop him. So I'm guessing his invulnerability is at a level somewhere between Thor and a nuke. <laughs> yeah. Because Thor took him out. But yeah, then we get he finds the kids. He yells at them a bit. They say they're sorry. And at this point, yeah, because this is where he destroys the kids utterly, and then the man beast comes back. No, he doesn't destroy them. He's thinking about destroying them. Because whenever I first read this, and I wasn't reading very carefully here, I was just going by the pictures. And the pictures, it looks like he destroys the kids. Yeah. But, but no, he, he, he faces off with his kids. He's like, oh, wait a second. You're good. I can't kill you if you're good. You may and, be weak, but you're not evil. Right. Which is a neat commentary. And then turned out the man beast, and he's been playing with him the whole time. And that man beast on the next to last panel is pretty creepy looking. Yeah. Very, uh, speaker of Nim. Yeah, yeah. And that face I could believe used to be a wolf face. I mean, it looks, it looks a little bit rodent-like, yeah. but I could believe it's... That's a bit more than the bat one, I thought. <laughs> yeah. The snout is definitely there more. And it's more of a canine nose. So now they're fighting up in space. They're fighting on the planet. Which, if that was not just supposed to be representation, but was actually real, would have caused as much damage as he was <laughs> he hadn't caused. And even though we go or faked out with him destroying the man-beast earlier, he does appear to do it here, and yet we're very obviously given a this-is-not-the-end kind of ending. Yeah, but still, I mean, I'm, defeated. Yes, so he's done his, his major goal of defeating the man-beast. Which is still, you know, more than I expected when I first read this for issue two or four, right. whichever one you want to call it. You know, I mean, so here we are, four issues in. I mean, the, the big question is, well, what's going to happen next? Exactly. I mean, you, I would almost, if I didn't know the fact that obviously they weren't going to cancel it with issue two, and, or the fact that this was well before they did miniseries, I would sort of wonder if this was a four issue miniseries. Right. Because I mean, you could have ended it right here. With him regrouping with his friends and walking off into the into the happiness, yeah, exactly. They could end right there. I mean, yeah, sure. There's some lo- you know floating fox threads like with Mandy Soul with his minions and all that, but you know the main villain's destroyed, which means you could assume, okay, I will is not going to destroy the Earth or Counter Earth because Mandy's is gone, and Adam and his friends walk off happy. Yay! Now it showed earlier whenever his friends were running through the the Dream City. It showed Estrella there. Where is she now that we're back to reality? Yeah, she's not with them. No, she's not. So that's a interesting bit of discontinuity. Or she just left. I mean, I'm not going by anything beyond just the fact that, you know, even though I've read stuff, I'm not going anything beyond what I was thinking then, which is, okay, she's Nancy's sister. She's got to be in league with them in some way, shape, or form. You know, I was always, I mean, I never trust, once we, once I got to issue one in, the guy was revealed, probably was revealed to be Mandy's, I stopped having any trust in her whatsoever. Okay. So well, you were I, reading more into it than I was, because I totally bought that she was just a girl. Yeah. So I was always just assuming, okay, untrustworthy. Well, that would be issue two. 
He turns, and quietly they follow, striding hopefully into a fearsome future, a very real future. Fini. Oh, happy. La la la. Everyone gets a happy ending. Except you. You die. Oh, that's not very nice. No, just reality. I mean, not today, I hope. I hope you're around a while, but, you know, ultimately... I do, too. I have, like, plans and stuff. Yeah. Try to get those done. All right. <laughs> but yeah, unlike some issues, this one's gonna be this one's the notes were a little bit short because it was mostly fight. Yeah, and I love my wife. She hates dream sequences. And if she were reading the story, once she realized it was all a dream, she probably would. She, I, I would not be surprised if she threw the issue across the room or something because she does not dig dream sequences at all. <laughs> we used to read the Wheel of Time together. I don't know if you've ever read that. I haven't but in, read of, but I, I mean, read, but I know of. In the Wheel of Time's world, the world of dreams is a real world um, to a certain extent. And once she realized that there were important parts of the plot taking place in dreams, she lost interest. I'm guessing then she would never be a fan of the Sandman. Probably not. Any version, actually, I'm thinking. Probably not. So what else you got? Uh, Well, that's it for the notes of the issue. I guess we can move on to some other stuff, like where it's reprinted. Hey! It's reprinted in pretty much the same place the last issue or two have been reprinted. In Essential Warlock Volume 1, if you like black and white, and also cheaper. Marvel Masterworks, Adam Warlock, Volume 1, hardcover. And also on digital, you can get it on the Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited website and app, which is what I used to read at least. I was at uh, Universal Islands of Adventure, and they have a Marvel superhero island, and on Marvel superhero island is a comic book store. And I don't know who goes to shop for their comics at the Marvel superhero island, but, you know, whatever. They did yeah. have quite a collection of essentials there, and I looked for the Warlock essential just to see if maybe they had it, um, but they did not. Sadness. I forgot they had the comic store there. I went there years ago. I was there this weekend for a combination of birthday and um, Father's Day weekend. Yes. So that was our big celebration. Lots of fun. It very, very like tiring. Fun. Well, yeah. But it looked like it was fun. I was jealous. It was. Definitely. You should be. I was. Your family did good. And did you see the swag? Yes. <laughs> Dude, I love the jacket. I want it to be cold again, so I can wear it tomorrow, but it's can not actually, cold. Can you actually wear a jacket that heavy, or at least look heavy, down where you are? Um, it is pretty heavy, and yeah, there there's a good month, at least, out of the year that it gets cold enough for a jacket like that. So, And even if it's not that cold, I'll wear it unzipped. True. So, if it's in the 40s or 50s, I'll still probably wear it to school. You're making me jealous again where you're saying, yeah, it's a good month where it gets that cold. I spend three years up where you are, farther north than where you are, so I know exactly what you're complaining about. But as much as I like living up there, there's something to be said for Florida weather. Oh, I know. I know. In fact, she's working on having us go down there eventually. Like My wife knitted me a Doctor Who scarf, and she finished it in time for us to leave Florida or something like that. Leave, not leave Florida, leave Connecticut. I was going to say, wait a minute. <laughs> But yeah, but I, have, I, I, I have a handmade Doctor Who scarf made by my own wife. It's awesome. That's very cool. 
Yeah, no, mine's trying to convince me. Well, actually, she's not trying. She's working on when we're going to go down there within like the next year or two or three. If you fly down, I'll see if I can't do something to swing down, coming coming down there to say hi. But if you drive down, you should definitely stop by in Jacksonville and say hello. Well, thank you. I might be doing. Actually, it might end up happening because one of us will probably have to drive with all the stuff. Right. And the puppy and the turtle. Yeah, if you have multiple passengers, then yeah, you have to drive. Yeah. And we have four people in the family. We never fly anywhere anymore. Yeah, I could see that. All right, so now we're, we finished the notes, and we finish his reprints, and we're on to Adam's Friends, where we see where the titles that Adam has appeared in before are up to now. And first off, we have Fantastic Four, number 127, Where the Sun Dares Not Shine, by Roy Thomas and John Buscema, which are familiar names. Hoping to find a cure for Alicia's blindness, Ben sets off to seek out the Mole Man in the center of the Meanwhile, the rest of the FF are busy with their own concerns. And he also appeared, and also Adam has appeared previously in Thor. So what's Thor up to, John? Well, in Thor 204 is a story called Exiled on Earth by Jerry Conway and also John Buscema. Thor and a small band of fellow gods turned their back on Odin after what they feel was an ill-conceived plan with the potential for too many lives to be lost, because no elder god has ever done anything like that before. No, never. And <laughs> so... Especially not Odin. Right? <laughs> so each of his friends and Thor himself are now trying to find a way to fit into their newly acquired society among the mortals of New York. New York City! I need to read more Thor. I have decided that I like Thor a lot more than I did, say, a year ago. I need to read more Thor. I do, too. After the issues I read, just for this, I was like, I gotta read more of this. Well, are we still doing a um, a powers segment now that his powers have pretty settled down? I'm not really sure if it's really needed at this moment, at least. The powers are pretty much, like you said, they're settled. We, I mean, the only thing we actually needed to see this time was the... Uh, well, actually, no, there's two things. We actually finally saw the gem turning the uh, monk into a gibbon. Right. So we now have confirmation. And also, although this is only the dream one, so I don't know how much this counts, but he thought it would work at least, it melted the bullet. Oh, yeah. When they shot at him. And I made a note of that, but then now I'm thinking about it, but that didn't really happen. Right. It's kind of the first uh, appearance of gold kryptonite is in a story that didn't really happen. And so they had reintroduced Gold Crypt Knight later in, in continuity. Now, just a quick side note, because I'm curious now. Did they act as if they knew what it was? No. In, okay. other, in neither place. It, 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 was, it was treated like a new material. It's often also treated like gold that has kryptonite properties rather uh, than a kryptonite that is gold-colored. So, so it's, it's, it's... A valuable gem still. Yeah. Mineral. Precious metal type of thing, right? All right, I was just wondering, because I know a lot of times back then, sometimes they, it seems like they would forget, and even though it was introduced in an imaginary story or a dream, they would still treat it as if everyone knew what it was. The actual dispatchment of the man-beast is very vague on how it happens, because he says he's devolving back into a wolf, so we presume that it's Adam Warlock's gem that does that, but A, we never see his gem light up. And B, it doesn't happen. And C, whatever does happen knocks Adam Warlock away. Yeah. So that's a really weird cosmic hoobajoob type of, of, of climax to that, that we don't really know what happened or what powers of Adam Warlock to attribute to that. To. 
or even if it's also a combination of whatever Adam had and the man beast using so much of his power to uh, make Warlock go into his little dream world. Right. But yeah, powers are pretty much done at this point. Yeah, for now there's really nothing new. I thought about that. I remember I was trying to look for stuff, but I was like, well, we've seen this already. We've seen this. You know, the only thing is, you know, making specific talk about his invulnerability, but we did that in the notes. That apparently Thor is more powerful than a nuke, and Adam is in between that. <laughs> I mean, that's sort of giving specifics. Although it does kind of make, you know, make fun of the fact that when Thor fights somebody who is, you know, nowhere near that powerful, it's like, how do they stand against him? Right. Yeah, people are very often as strong as they need to be for the plot. Yeah. Which is true about Superman, too. Superman is always just as strong as he needs to be for the plot. It's just that they started upping and upping his power levels until... But they kept the consistency, because once he can be stopped by nothing, then he can be stopped by nothing. Yeah, true. Yeah, and those, I remember those Superman stuff, especially like early Bronze Age, he could do... It was only a matter of fact whether they tricked him. Right, right. You had to trick him to win. Yeah. No one really was able to actually physically beat him, at least until they brought in, like, Mongol or something, or Darkseid. Once you start bringing in alien monsters, then you can then you can do something to Superman. Or Parasite. Ooh, Parasite. I haven't gotten his first appearance yet. I don't know when his first appearance is. I don't even know if he's... I'm assuming he's at least Bronze Age. Well, you know, now you've mentioned it. I have to go look it up. <laughs> Parasite of Earth 1, first appearance in Action Comics 340, August 1966, when he's just the purple dude in the green shorts and the stripe down his chest. Okay, so he's Silver Age still. Yep, the Checker era of DC. Oh, I like the Checkers. So I'll be looking forward to that. I am currently up to about Action Comics uh, 295-ish. So a handful of issues away from 300, and then he's in 340. So not too far away. Where are you in Superman? Huh? Where are you on the Superman book? Or are you just doing action, really, the whole way through? No, no, I'm doing all of them. Um, I want to say 155 is about where I am on the numbers on that. Okay. I was trying to get perspective on both. Because yeah. one's starting like a year or so later, and then like the quarterly schedule. Action Comics counts much more quickly than Superman does for pretty much ever up until the 80s. Superman becomes a monthly in the late 70s. Oh, wasn't and, it was uh, 70s, though. I mean, it wasn't quarterly, but it wasn't monthly. No, it was eight times a year for the longest time. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, so I just pulled it up. My next issue of Action Comics is 295. Adventure Comics with the Legion is 303. And Superman is 158. Oh, wow. And Superboy is 102. I just passed the 100 point with Superboy. Yeah, actually, one of those issues is one of the ones I had early on. Like, from a, somebody gave it to me. Like, it was almost coverless. Like, the cover was there, but not attached. Mm-hmm. It was the one with Crypto, where he goes to the Red Kryptonite, becomes like a Lassie. Yes. I thought that was a really funny issue, because not only does he change into a pretty dog, he's also a girl, and he's also pregnant. Yeah. And I could do so much with that story nowadays that they just <laughs> didn't even address. <laughs> it's not Red Kryptonite, it's Red Roofies. Hi, everybody. This is Brian Christman. Shane Kelly. Adam Murdo. Matt. Chris Everly, Peter Rios. And we're from the Comic Geek Speak podcast. On May 2nd of this year, our friend and fellow podcaster, Jamie D'Alessandro, lost his battle with cancer. In honor of Jamie, we are participating in a 5K and 10K race to raise money for the Livestrong Foundation, which provides support for people with cancer. 
We will be taking part in the Team Live Strong Challenge Philly on Sunday, August 17th in Bluebell, Pennsylvania. We are collectively running and walking under the team name of Jamie's Avengers. If you'd like to join us in the event or make a donation to our team, go to livestrong.org and search for Jamie's Avengers. Thank you all for your time and Jamie's Avengers Assemble! I think that wraps us up. Yeah. Want to do a closing real quick, Sam? Is that way you can pimp out your stuff? Okay. I like pimping. Hey, guess what? What? I started a new podcast. Did you now? I've talked about it before because as these episodes are coming out, it's already been on the air for a while. But as a recording, it just started two days ago. And now with two episodes up on the internet, we have the Star Wars Saga cast where I am podcasting my journey through the Star Wars Expanded Universe. So go to thestarwarssagacast.com to check that out. You can also find me over at Avengers Inspirations with my daughter Lily, who is um, very busy this summer after having been very busy during the school year, and I'm trying to find a time to record with her. I might have to get like a ball and chain and tie it to her leg so she can't run away and make her record. Um, then there is the new 52 Adventures of Superman where I am talking about the various adventures of the Man of Steel and his family of characters as their trade volumes are released. I got the latest World's Finest volume in the mail today, so I need to do an episode on it. Ooh, that's right. Yeah, that just came out this week. Very cool. I like World's Finest. I do, too. I'm looking forward to the shift. I mean, I have loved getting to know Huntress and Power Girl, but giving me Superman and Batman team-up stories on Earth 2 from before the war... Definitely looking forward to that. No, same here, because we're still going to get Power Girl and Huntress in... Uh, Earth 2. Yeah, Earth 2 and the uh, the World's End mini... Uh, on, what's it called? Yeah, the World's End weekly. Yeah, but now this one, we can get a Batman-Superman, but we can get a Batman-Superman where we can show them as parents, more or less, or engaged. Ooh, yes. Good call. I mean, they did all that, so, you know, it can go anywhere from their origin or their first meeting up until like a week before they were killed. So we can have them, you know, raising a child, you know, dealing with all that. So it'll definitely be different than the Superman, Batman Superman book still. Yep. And Earth 2. I mean, we need more Earth 2. Yes. I love Earth 2. And you can find me, well, the Tumblr site for this podcast is resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com. Um, that's the main page for this podcast. Uh, episodes are all posted up there, as well as images from all the issues we're covering. I'm also on Four Color Fanboys with Brian Zeno, where we talk about other comics that we like to read, and pretty much whatever else comic-related pops in our heads. So you can find that at fourcolor.podwits.com, and that's also located on iTunes as well. And there's an email for Resurrections. It's resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com, and there actually is an email. And it's from Adam Magus, and it's, a, it's entitled Warlock. And it says, I just finished episode 0 and 1, and I'm hooked. I can't believe there's a cast dedicated to one of my fave characters ever. Downloading all the other eps now, and I can't wait for more. Keep up the great work. A cosmic fan, Scott, at Infinity Watcher, which I believe is his Tumblr, uh, Twitter name, and he has a Tumblr, infinitywatcher.tumblr.com, so go give him a like. So that's it for this episode. I'll be back in the beginning of August with episode 12, uh, where we'll be covering Iron Man 55, the first appearance of Thanos.
because after that we're going to be covering the Thanos Annual and Thanos the Infinity Revelation original graphic novel. So I figured like when we first got to the High Evolutionary and you know pop back to see his first appearance, that'd be nice to you know pop back to uh, Thanos' first appearance before we're going to cover him in anything. And while John won't be back next episode, we will have another guest star. So I'll see you guys then. Bye. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock podcast, is a fan-made production, and I make no claims and hold no rights towards any of the characters, Marvel, DC, or any other company that John and I might have babbled about in this episode. I make no money off of this. Please don't sue me, anybody. Or John. I apologize if there were any noise issues this episode. Unfortunately, it's hot as hell the last few weeks, and it's been really hard to record without an air conditioner on. So I try to get rid of all the background noise I can, but if I missed it, sorry. As it gets colder, I'm sure it'll sound better. Well, that sucks for me. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peacelovproductions.com. Links to both can be found in the Tumblr. Okay. Yay. Yes. Whew. I was going to get worried. Which program is that? Um, oh, they call it? Yes. It normally works fine, just sometimes it likes to be a bit of a pain in the ass. Well, you know. There's no fun otherwise. If it doesn't right. give you a heart attack here and there. Okay, well, I have my two books, and I have my... Two sets of notes. Yep, and I'm just finishing bringing up the issue on the uh, the app, so that way I can actually decide if my notes I can actually read it without having clickety click on the computer. Yeah, because I should point out that whenever you click stuff on your computer, it's really loud on the recording. Yeah, which is why I'm trying not to do it as little as possible. What do you think? Okay, back to the notes. I'm only trying to bring it up and move it if I send the page so I can read it. Alright, I guess we should begin. Yay!